We've already had several prophecies that have come forth, uh, not only here at our church locally, but also uh, over our ministry at uh, Bible conferences that we have attended because of the Times conference we just returned to returned from a few uh, days ago out in Louisiana. And uh, we just had a lot of confirmations that this is going to be the year that God blows your mind with His miraculous power and grace. Oh, I hope you're getting ready for it. I hope you've got a spirit of anticipation. God's going to make every door swing wide open for you. Amen. Luke chapter 4 and verse 17. This is now when the Lord was just a boy. Jesus is coming into his own. They think he's somewhere around 12, 13 years old. And uh, his family had gone to the temple to worship, and they had were turning home and didn't realize, you know, they had a lot of kids, that Jesus had been left back there in the temple. He got so wrapped up in the Word of God. I'm going to tell you something. If you get into the Word of God at a young age, it'll change your whole life. You get into the Word of God at an old age, it'll change the rest of your life. It works no matter where. But he started, and he, and he started quoting from Isaiah 61. Let's, let's read uh, Luke 4, 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Jesus is now quoting from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now this, he's, obviously, it's referring to when he had gotten a little bit older in his ministry. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And then 19, verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is referring to that year of Jubilee, the acceptable year of the Lord. There were seven things that were included, and I want to start um, by talking about uh, the very first one. The very first thing, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And for the next few moments, I'd like to talk to you on that subject. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Would you turn to your neighbor and say that to your neighbor? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Amen. Under the reading of the Word of God, everybody said in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. This reference to the ministry of Jesus and him referring back to Isaiah 61, talking about this year of Jubilee, this acceptable year of the Lord, it had seven parts to it. And what we're talking about this morning is just the first part. But just like they used to ring the Liberty Bell seven times for the seven letters in the word freedom, there are seven parts to this great declaration. And the first is, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I believe that it is safe to say today that that is the first step of freedom. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's an amazing thing to think that we, you and I as human beings, with our, our flawed flesh nature, that the Spirit of the Lord could come upon us. If you can think of something very corrupt and something very holy, and think that this Holy Spirit of God, the Old Testament foretold about it, and even if you go all the way back to 
the book of Genesis. You'll read in the second verse of the first chapter. I mean, it literally is um, a thread that runs throughout all of Scripture. But even if you go back to the creation, it says this, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved. Oh, hallelujah. So many times we think, well, God could never move on me because I've made too many mistakes. I've, you know, come from a long line of sinners. And there is no way that a Holy Spirit would come upon me. The, of course, the King James Version refers to it as Holy Ghost. That, that word ghost in the Old English was the same as spirit, but it's synonymous. It's the fact that God's spirit or God's presence or God's essence could move upon something and cause a reaction. That his spirit could move upon the earth. The earth was not as we see it now. It was probably more like Mars. It was, it was void. It was without form. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters. Everything changed when the Spirit of God moved. And ladies and gentlemen, the Spirit of God is still moving. It wasn't just in creation. The Spirit of God moves when it sets down upon a human being. You say, well, I got too much stuff in my life. There's no way that a holy God would ever send His Holy Spirit to me. Well, there's already precedent that he came on an earth that was void and without form and darkness was upon the face of the deep. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty bleak situation. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. I mean, it was void. It was without form. You say, well, I don't, I don't have any family that was in the church. I don't have parents that serve God. My grandparents didn't serve God. You, don't, you may be without form. You may not have the pedigree. You may not even have spiritual inclinations. But when the Spirit of God moves. Oh, I got to take just a moment and thank the Lord that God moves upon humanity. I'm thankful that the Spirit of God still moves. Uh, even though we're not perfect people and even though we don't always do the right thing, I'm thankful that the Spirit of God is still upon me and upon you. It's not something that's just static. It's moving. It's moving. Oh, hallelujah. I like that about God. His essence, His nature is not frozen in time or space. It's not an idol that's made with the hands of men or a philosophy that's born in the imagination of a human mind. It moves. It's alive. I've been in all these different discussions, you know, with my schooling and going through law school and studying overseas and studying under Supreme Court justices and hearing a lot of people discuss the Constitution. And they always want to say things like, Constitution is a living, breathing document. The forefathers wrote it. They wrote it so that it 
is living and breathing. All of that, when you hear all of that, that's code for saying we can change it to fit all of the social norms that we are presently involved in. That's what all that's code for. There's two different interpretations of the U.S. Constitution. One is the originalist, originalist standpoint, which is that whatever it is on the face of the document, that's what it is. And we shouldn't you know, be changing it just to fit all these social experiments. But then there's this other view that Constitution is a living, breathing document. I was in law school one time in a constitutional law class, and this guy sitting behind me, Rod, I think is his name. I think he's an attorney in, in Melbourne now, even though we went to school in Orlando. But he uh, was giving this passionate speech one time. And my friend uh, Rich Strawcutter was in class with me, and we were sitting there, and he was behind us saying, the, the, the U.S. Constitution is a living, breathing document. And he went on and on talking about the Constitution as if it was some you know, some kind of a holy something sitting down from clouds in the sky. And, and the Constitution is living and breathing. It's ever expanding. And, it, and he just went on and on and on and on. And I had taken all I could. And I finally took out my wallet. And I took out a $1 bill and I put it up on the table behind me where he was sitting. And the whole room got quiet. And I said, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. And when somebody gives that passion of a speech, we take up an offering. He worked so hard at it, I thought he deserved an offering. <laughs> but if people can get that excited and caught up talking about a document with, with paper and ink, how much more so should you and I get excited about something that really is living and moving and breathing? I know something greater than the U.S. Constitution. It's the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And guess what Jesus told us? He said, I go to my Father, but I'm going to send the Comforter. And it was His Spirit. The Bible said when they were all gathered together in the upper room, they were all in one accord in one place, 120 of them. They come from all different backgrounds. Peter, you know, he'd made a lot of mistakes. He denied the Lord three times, but I'm thankful that God is a God that restores us, aren't you? And Peter was there, and the Lord said, I'm going to use you. You're going to open up the, the door. And sure enough, he preached to the Gentiles and the Jews and the Samaritans. And so here's all these a collection of people, fishermen and and even Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, which shows you everybody needs the Holy Ghost. Doesn't matter how holy or carnal you are, everybody. And they were all gathered together, and the Bible says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, filled the place where they were sitting. And there appeared in them cloven tongues like as a fire. And I like this part, and it sat upon each of them. Now, I got to just stop and say that. I don't know if you want to put that up there or not. But... This is what I got out of that when I was reading that recently. It wasn't just the Spirit of God working on all of us corporately. When we come to the house of God, yes, we feel the Word of God and the Spirit of God move upon all of us as a collective body, but I'm so thankful that we serve a God who's an individual God. The Spirit of God can sit upon you individually. And ladies and gentlemen, when it does, it moves. And when the Spirit of God moves, it'll move you. 
You say, I don't know about you Pentecostals. Y'all get down there and run and jump and hop up and down and clap your hands and act crazy. I don't know if I could ever do all that. You let the Spirit of God come upon you. You thought you was all stoic and professionals and didn't think you could move or nothing. I'm going to tell you what, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, it'll change everything. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It doesn't matter where you're at. It can happen in a schoolroom. Bill and June sitting right back here are, are both professors at Purdue University, but they're smart enough to live in Florida. One week a month, they got to go up to northern Indiana, do their classroom stuff. But a lot of it they can do by internet and all of that. A couple of years ago, we went to China together. We went to all them underground churches. I didn't know what to expect. I thought, well, everybody would just be sitting there and be real stoic and all of that. Man, we got in them underground churches and started having church and people are worshiping God. And June translated all my sermons into Chinese and put them up there on the screen. And, and the people were reading the Chinese. And, and they were all reading it, you know, reading it in their language. And I'd read it in English and they'd read it and they'd all read it collectively. I mean, it was with an intensity. And then I said, now God's going to do it for you. Boy, I started seeing people filled with the Holy Ghost all over the place. Spirit of God was setting upon them. They were falling over on their backs, speaking in tongues. You say, in the Chinese culture, it doesn't matter what nationality you are. If the Spirit of God comes upon you, it'll move you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. It doesn't matter how much money you got, how much education you got. The Spirit of God is upon me. It's flowing, it's moving, it's alive with power. Not only does it move, but it changes what it touches. The earth was without form and void. It was deep and dark. But it became a living planet because of the Spirit of God. It went from barrenness to beautiful when the Spirit moved. It went from dark to light, from without form to being perfectly balanced. You say, oh, Pastor, my life is so out of whack. I'm not balanced. I'm going to tell you what you need. You need the Spirit of God to be upon you. If the Spirit of God can balance an earth so that it can spin thousands of miles an hour, and it, He knows where to put every mountain and every valley and every body of water so that this thing can spend thousands of hours, and yet it's so smooth that that glass of water can sit there and not even move because this earth is spinning so smoothly. Don't you think He can balance your life? I mean, if the tires on my car get out of balance, it makes the whole car jump around at 70, 80, 90 miles an hour. But the earth can spin at thousands of miles an hour and be that balanced. How is that happening? Because the Spirit of God came upon it. You say, Pastor, my life is all out of balance. You need the Spirit of God to come upon you. Boy, I mean, everything will start to balance out. Relationships, God can put relationships back together. He can change your heart, change your mind, change your way of thinking, your way of living. He'll change your desires, your lifestyle, your friends, your habits. Woo! Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is similar to what happens to life that's created in a mother's womb. 
baby starts out, it's void and without form, but there's still life there. The necessary DNA, though it may be microscopic, is all put there together. And then a baby is shaped and formed by the breath of God. This is why we believe that life begins at conception, not at birth. Because the word of God says that the Lord told David, I knew you in your mother's womb. God doesn't say, oh, okay, he was born at 7 o'clock at Holmes Regional Hospital. Okay, now I guess that's a human being I've got to save. God knew you in your mother's womb. Oh, hallelujah. I know the press didn't cover it, but I'm glad there were over 600,000 people that marched in Washington for the right to life. Everybody ought to have a chance to live. I was talking with a friend of mine that's in Melbourne here. He's in his 70s. He's been a trial lawyer for many, many years. We were talking about abortion, the right to life, and all that. And uh, he made his case, and I, I said, you know, Joe, here's my position on this. As a society, we should protect those that can't protect themselves. Those that are most vulnerable in our society. They should be protected. We've done that with gender. We've done that with race. But is there any element of our culture that is more vulnerable than a fetus that cannot protect itself? Should we not protect that that is the most vulnerable among us? The unborn. He said, well, you got a good point there, David. I've never thought of that. I said, God does. His spirit is upon that baby. And he breathes. When my daughter was born, Sophia, I don't know if she's in here. Come up here, baby. Sophia, my seven-year-old daughter, when, when she was born, and, and my wife, you know, gave birth to little Sophia, and we were in the room, and, and she was born. Isn't she beautiful? And she was born, and she, she'd come out, and she was crying, her cries sounded a little funny, and they took her right away, and they took her over to the, to the NICU unit, you know, and... Uh, they said her lungs are not fully developed and, and um, we're going to have to, you know, give her some help and all that. And, and so we said, okay, you know how it is as parents, you try not to worry and all of that. And so we said, okay, okay. And uh, so then we went over and we checked on her and all that. And of course, my wife was recovering and all. And uh, so I stayed in the hospital the first night. The second day, they said, you know, she hasn't gotten any better yet. We've still got some problems with the lungs, but we're working through it. And then I stayed the second night and tried to sleep in that little chair that's supposed to be a bed. That's no bed. It's just a torture device. And, I, you know, my wife was there, and we were concerned. Sophia was in the NICU unit, so we were on the first, first day, and then the second day. And then finally, the third day, they came and talked to us, and they said, she's better. Over to um, Holmes or, or uh, Arnold Palmer Hospital in Orlando, Children's Hospital in Orlando, because we got a. Uh, we're going to have to do something with her lungs. They're not opening up. And they explained to me medically how that happens. And this, this fact, and this has to open in the blood that flows underneath. And it causes the membranes to expand. And it was a big, big, you know, medical discussion of it all. And I was like, okay. And they said, we can do this and we can do that. And, of course, my wife was concerned. I was concerned. And I said to my wife, I said, I've got to go home because I've got to talk to God. He's the creator. And um, so I went home and I started talking to the Lord. And uh, they had made plans that they were going to the next day take her over to Arnold Palmer Hospital in Orlando. And uh, 
So that night I was talking to the Lord. I said, Lord, and I, I had great confidence in these people. Our twins were born there, you know, uh, whatever, six years earlier. I had a lot of confidence in those, those great um, physicians and nurses and all those people in the NICU unit, Holmes Regional. They're absolutely angels and, and, uh, and nurses and doctors' outfits because they just, the work they do is unbelievable. So I had a lot of confidence in them. And I was praying. I said, Lord, you know, this is the very best care. And, you know, this girl you've given to us as a gift and da-da-da. And the Lord just impressed me. And he said, I am the creator. He said, I breathe life into her. But he said, I will breathe upon her one more time. I get goosebumps just talking about it. He said, I'll breathe upon her one more time. And I started praying. It was somewhere around 3 o'clock in the morning. And, and I just felt a confirmation that the Lord had touched her. The next morning, we, I went to the, the hospital room where my wife was. And she said, honey, what are we going to do? I said, I prayed. And the Lord gave me a, a, a word last night. And he's touched her. And, and uh, everything's going to be fine. I mean, it wasn't 30 minutes later. They came in the hospital room. And they said, something happened last night about 3 o'clock in the morning. They said... They said the machine started going off. The breathing became normal. They said it's as if she's never had a problem. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but I'm glad to tell you that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon her. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you and your marriage and your children and your co-workers. Thank you, baby. Never had a problem from that day till now. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what you may be struggling with today, but I've come to tell you this word. The Spirit of the Lord can come upon you. And when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, everything will become right. Everything will be changed. Everything will become new. When the Spirit of God comes upon you. This is what happens when a person gives their life to the Lord. There's a lot of things that you can say are upon you. You can say the weight of the world is upon you. You can say the deadline for a paper to be turned in at school is upon you. You can say the favor of your boss is upon you. The blessings of your parents is upon you. The day of reckoning is upon you. But nothing can compare to the Spirit of the Lord being upon you. No wonder the year of Jubilee started out with the most powerful, profound declaration known to men. Shouted from the rooftops, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he pushed over the columns of a great palace. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David as the oil from the horn of Samuel ran down his head. Ezekiel said, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me to speak unto you. I'm going to tell you what, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, it demands action. I said, it demands action. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, you can't hide it. Something just comes forth. You don't even know how to explain it. I love to listen to all different kinds of music. I love gospel music. But when I was a boy, I was just a young boy, and I heard Buddy Rich play the drums at Florida Institute of Technology. They're having a concert, and 
they had Buddy Rich play, and I went over there and heard Buddy Rich play the drums, and I decided that I was going to be a drummer like Buddy Rich. So I started learning how to play the drums, and man, I tell you what, I love, I'm going to just make a confession to you this morning. I love smooth jazz. I'm just going to be right up honest with you. I used to play in a jazz band when I was in high school, and I loved the creativity of it and the, the camaraderie of it. And We even had a jazz band when I was in Bible college. They used to let us play on Friday nights, and we were trying to think of a name. I played the drums, and I had my buddies. There was five other guys that were in the band. One of them was Tom Andrews, who pastors in Minnesota and has preached here several times. He played the trumpet. Man, we had a good band. I mean, he played the trumpet. He was a great trumpet player. He was number one in the state of Indiana when he came out of high school. He, he played by himself in front of 70,000 people who had a Green Bay Packers game to the national anthem. And I mean, he was an unbelievable trumpet player. We had another guy that played the trombone, and he'd been in the McDonald's All-American band. Everybody was good except me. I was the weak link, really, in the whole band. And we said, we got to think up of a, we got to think of a name for our jazz band. Here we are in Bible college. They let us play on Friday nights and we said, we got to think of a name. And I said, well, what do we really do? They said, well, we kind of do smooth jazz, but it's got some gospel flavor to it. And I was trying to think of something biblical. And I said, I got an idea. And they said, what? And I said, all of you guys can shave your heads and we'll name the band David and the Five Smooth Stones. <laughs> the Bible. The Bible said David picked up five smooth stones out of the brook when he went to fight Goliath. And they all looked at me and they said, we are not shaving our heads. And you've come up with a name where you don't have to shave your head. I said, it's in the Bible. We got to do it. It's in the Bible. <laughs> they were against that idea. But I, I like Peter White and Boney James and Marcus Miller and all them cats. I like to hear them all play. I've met a lot of them. They can find notes and chords that no one's ever heard of. Because it comes from deep down. It comes down in, from the soul somewhere. And boy, they, a lot of these guys, they have, a, they have a, a spiritual core or a spiritual upbringing. Marcus Miller, you know, he grew up in Brooklyn, New York. He had a father that was a music minister in a church up in Brooklyn. And his grandfather was a bishop. And his father always wanted to be a, a professional musician. But he had two young boys and he had to take care of his family. So he, he made the decision not to chase a career being a professional musician, but to take care of his family. I think God honored him for that because his son Marcus became one of the most renowned musicians, composers, and arrangers, played on tour with the great Miles Davis, and he went on. That was when he was a teenager. And then he went on to arrange and compose for Luther Vandross and Herbie Hancock and David Sanborn and Roberta Flack and on and on and on. Been on over 500 albums. But if you talk with him, he's standing right here. Marcus Miller just a regular guy. He'd be, he'd be the first to tell you that it was, it was his spiritual upbringing. He even, he even did a song. He knew we were a bunch of preacher's kids. and He said, I wrote a song called Preacher's Kid and played it for us. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, just it comes from a spiritual core down there. A lot of them guys do. And I know probably some of them have other influences. But recently I heard a guy by the name of Eric Darius play the saxophone. I said to my wife, there's something different about this dude. He's... He's something else, got something else going on. It's more than talent. I heard him say that his father was from Haiti and his mother was from Jamaica. And he got to talking about Haiti and he about all the suffering the nation's gone through and talked about the earthquake and the hurricane and it hit Jeremy. And he said, I want to dedicate this song to Haiti and 
and, and to all the suffering, the people and my roots and all that. And he plays this song. Man, I was in tears, you know. And, and I said, man, it'd be, neat to, it'd be neat to meet that guy. Well, later that night, my wife and I were in a restaurant. And my wife is one of these people that's aware of every other table in the restaurant. I could be sitting next to the president. And unless Secret Service was sitting on top of my table, I wouldn't even know that he's over there. But my wife is different. She can tell you about conversations going on. So if y'all going to talk about us, be careful not to sit too close. My wife can zoom in on you. She said, I think Eric Darius is sitting over there. And I looked over there and I said, boy, that does look like him. But I didn't want to bother him. You know, he was with a girl there at the table and had a little candle in the middle of their table. And I said, they may be having some sort of romantic dinner. But that didn't hinder my wife none. She walked right over there and said, hey, Eric, like they were best friends or something. He said, oh, hey. And she said, we enjoy your saxophone playing. And my husband goes to Haiti and he goes, really? And we got to talking about Haiti and, and uh, I kind of wandered over there after I knew everything was going to be all right. And, I said, yeah, yeah, you know, how are you doing? I said, yeah, we're building a medical clinic there. And we talked about some of that stuff. He said, really, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm a preacher. And he said, really? He said, you pa-? I said, yeah, I pastor in Palm Bay, Florida. He said, what church do you pastor? And uh, I said, First Pentecostal Church. He said, you're kidding. And I said, no, I, I mean, I really do. It's 1021 Emerson Drive. He said, I grew up in a Pentecostal church in Tampa, Florida. He said, I received the Holy Ghost when I was a boy. I turned to my wife and said, I told you there was something different about him. (laughs) He said, the very first song I played was, Because He Lives. He said, I played it in church as a seven-year-old boy. And he started at the table. I can face tomorrow. I said, oh yeah, I love that song. We got to talk and all that. And he said, you got a card? And I said, yeah. And I gave him the card. He said, you're not going to believe this. He said, I've moved out to Los Angeles now. But he said, I'm going to be in your area next year. He said, at the Florida Smooth Jazz Festival. He said, I think it's in Daytona Beach. I think it's January of next year. He said, I'm going to be over there playing at that jazz festival. But he said, if you, if you don't mind, I'll stay over on Sunday and come to church with you. I said, come on, bring your saxophone. We got to talking a little bit more, and I walked out, and I told my wife, it don't matter if you're a musician, a preacher, a secretary, or a Walmart greeter. If the Spirit of God is upon you, everybody's going to know it. It makes you a better musician. It'll make you a better Walmart greeter. It'll make you a better whatever you do. If the Spirit of God is upon you, it's obvious. My goodness. I just found this out yesterday from Brother uh, Pat Williams, who's our uh, district superintendent at First Pentecostal Church. We had a minister's meeting over in Kissimmee uh, yesterday. And uh, I had heard something about this, but I didn't know how true it was. You know, some things are just urban myths, you know, that go around. But if it comes from Brother Williams, our superintendent, he's checked it out. I trust his word. He said this, Reese Priebus, I think that's the way you say his name, who is the chief of staff now for the president of the United States. He said he was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost in Wisconsin last year. 
the chief of staff. Now, I don't know what all you got to do as the chief of staff, but I imagine you got your work cut out for you. You got to determine the old president, his schedule, and what all. But if you got the Holy Ghost, I'm convinced you're going to be better at it than somebody without the Holy Ghost. Now, you can say what you want. But ladies and gentlemen, if you got the Holy Ghost, you're going to be a better worker at Harris Semiconductor. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you're going to be more effective at playing baseball. That's how crazy I am. <laughs> you say, well, that's not true. God don't care nothing about baseball. Well, then how come our softball team wins the championship? Spirit of God is upon me. I don't know if you guys have been noticing this or not, but this guy, uh, Morgan Freeman, who's a famous actor, he's been doing this deal where he's trying to figure out who God is. He's doing a series for National Geographic. Any of you all seen this? He's going all around the, different, going around the world, interviewing people of different faiths. He's trying to figure out who God is and how he interacts with humanity. But he made a mistake recently. He decided to go to a United Pentecostal church in New Mexico to try to understand what this speaking in tongues business is all about. I think Tyler's got a little clip. I want to show you this. There is darkness. There is also light. Some people feel they are touched by heaven in a physical way every Sunday. I've come to Albuquerque, New Mexico to meet Annie Naz. Hi. Hi. I'm Annie. I'm Morgan. Pleased to meet you. It's my pleasure, Annie. Thank you to your church. Annie's family recently immigrated from Pakistan to the U.S. You're from Pakistan. Right. The name Annie? Isn't that a Christian name? It is. I was born in a Pentecostal Christian family. Yeah? Yes. But you were not Pentecostal Christian. In the beginning, I didn't like going to church. I thought it was boring. But then I had a great spiritual experience. One day, we were worshiping, and all of a sudden, I just started feeling like crying. And I started praising God. I started saying those words. And I started speaking. I was speaking in tongues. OK. All right. You know, it just changed my life in a huge, huge, huge way. Any chance I get to see you speaking in tongues? When you feel the presence of God, even if I try to speak to you, yeah. I just can't. My tongue starts twisting and I start speaking in tongues, so you might. Annie is taking me to the New Life United Pentecostal Church, where they worship by speaking in tongues. This practice comes from the Christian Bible. According to the book of Acts, 50 days after Jesus' death, on the day of the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit filled Christ's disciples, causing them to speak in an unknown language. Pentecostal services recreate this moment of heaven coming down to earth.
when I began to open myself up and surrender to God and I allow his spirit to move into me it's that sneak preview of what heaven's going to be like I want you to close your eyes I want you to begin to pray in your heart right now. I want you to open your soul and say, God, here I am. I surrender to you. I don't care what you're facing in life, what situations you're struggling with. I'm here to tell you today that God has the ability and the power through his spirit to bring you out of that circumstance, to give you that heaven can be a real place. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. swept up by an invisible force and now they speak in what they believe is the language of heaven I can see on their faces that they are genuinely somewhere else experiences different religions and belief systems and the thing that I have learned is that everybody's truth is the truth it was quite a powerful experience I could feel the energy in that space Normal people suddenly transformed by some power. And then just as suddenly return to normal. But Pentecostals believe that they are bringing heaven down to earth. Now whatever it is, once they felt that power, they're not the same. Experience changes them how they see themselves, how they relate to others, how they live their lives. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about one statement that he made. He described it as an energy, which people that have not had that spirit come upon them they oftentimes will say it's an energy when I was talking with Eric Darius he said you know in the industry that I'm in as as a jazz artist he said they don't know how to describe it they call it an energy and he said they don't know that it's not some mystical energy 
but it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Even the greatest skeptic has to admit that when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, it changes you. I said, it changes you. In this group this morning that's gathered in this building, several hundred people, other campuses around South Bavard, are only a representation of millions of people, ladies and gentlemen, all over the world that stand to say, I know him for myself. He changed me. He made me a new creature in Christ Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It doesn't make us special. It makes God special. That He would put His Spirit upon us and change the way that we speak, change our desires, our lifestyle. And ladies and gentlemen, that's where freedom starts. Acts chapter 2. It's where it all starts. And in the year of Jubilee, when God has so many blessings in store for you, the very first thing He wants to do is to pour out His Spirit upon you. I'd ask you to stand to your feet now. I feel the presence of God here even this moment. And certainly the altar is, is open if you'd like to come down and stand at the altar area. Obviously a, a consecration and it's, it's an act of, I believe, faith when you move where you're standing and come to an altar. And certainly this altar is open for you if you'd like to come. But I feel this morning to pray for every single person in every pew, from the very back wall to the very front. I want us to pray together collectively and say, God, I want your spirit to come upon me, upon whatever situation you're facing. I want the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost to come and to set down upon this situation. Maybe you've been struggling with trying to figure out a solution on your own. She said, I can't get there on my own. But there's a God that will move His presence and His power. And the Spirit of God will come upon you. You say, well, Pastor, how do I know when the Spirit of God has come upon me? The Bible says that the initial evidence, and there's a lot of evidence of it as you walk with God, but the initial evidence was that you would begin to speak out words, this is what they were talking about in the film, that you do not understand. It may sound like gibber to people that don't know God, but for you, you know it's the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't know whatever situation you may be facing. Maybe you've never received this gift, and if you haven't, I want you to come down, press your way down to the very beginning, very front of this uh, church building. I want to I wanna pray with you. But for those of you that maybe can't get down to the front, you're, sit, you're standing in a pew area, I wonder right now, whatever you're facing, whatever you're encountering in your life, I want you to know that the Spirit of God will come upon you and will fix the situation. I say that with boldness and faith this morning. Whatever it is that you're encountering. And a minute ago when Brother Richie asked, hands went up all over the building, do you need God to do something for you? this morning? Do you need God to make a change, to do a difference in your life? Do you need God to work a miracle? Hands went up all over the building. My hand went up. Your hand went up. Now I believe right now as you'll pray, the Spirit of God will come upon. Would you raise your hands and would you lift your voice right now? 
Lord, I'm asking you for your spirit to come right now. As it did in that upper room where 120 people were gathered together. I'm asking you, Lord, for your spirit to come down right now. Let it come upon us, Lord. We've tried to figure it out on our own. We've tried to work out solutions to the problem, God, but we recognize our utter dependence upon you today. We need you, God. We need your power. We need your presence, Lord. We need the Holy Ghost to come upon us. Come on, God wants to give you an undeniable experience. Come on, just lift your hands and your voices right now. Begin to speak out whatever you feel. That's it. That's it. Without fear. Oh, that's it. That's the Spirit of the Lord. Come on, He's going to work a miracle right now. He'll touch your body right now.